Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're doing another show from the venue of Anchorage, Alaska. We're at the National Indian Health Board's annual conference, actually bringing together a couple of uh, different conferences that uh, are usually separate all together in the National Tribal Health Conference that is taking place in May of 2023. Here in our uh, virtual studio, which happens to be in Exhibit Hall, right now is Heather Medicine Bear. Heather, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Dr. Drew. I'm very happy to be here, and um, thank you for having me on your show. Heather, you are the current program manager of the National Native Network. We want to talk about that in some detail. But before we do, you have one of the most fascinating backgrounds, I think, of people that I've had the pleasure of visiting with, really a very diverse indigenous connection. So tell us a little bit about your background and your journey into public health, if you will. Yeah, well, I grew up in Hawaii. And I'm an enrolled member of the Gila River Indian community. So my family is actually from Arizona and we've been able to visit a number of different times and connect with our relatives and, uh, learn about my culture and our traditions and, um, our tribe. And that's been very wonderful. I also work for the Intertribal Council of Michigan National Native Network. So my work is based in Michigan, um, mm-hmm. in Sault Ste. Marie. And I'm actually a PhD student in the Indigenous Health Program at the University of North Dakota. So I'm living in like four, di- four different time zones. <laughs> but my path towards public health started with just my passion for improving health in our community, just seeing the devastating effects of, you know, the different disparities on our people and, and how how it's affected American Indian, Alaska Natives all over the country. Um, I've been able to travel throughout Indian country with my husband, who's a powwow dancer. Mm. Um, so we've been all over the country. And um, we see the disparity, but we also see the strength of Native mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what led me on my path of wanting to improve health equity, build capacity, and do what I can for Native people our people. You have such an interesting background to me because, you know, there's not a lot of people who have roots in Hawaii and Arizona that would be brave enough to do a program in North Dakota. I mean, you're talking about pretty extremely different climates. I've lived in the Northern Plains and I don't think I've been anywhere that has as brutal winters as there and it's the opposite in some of those other places where you have roots and then to have that connection in Michigan. So I, I just really appreciate the diversity that you bring. I mean, climate, populations that you've worked with. And I know you're using that to inform your work as the program manager of the National Native Network. You, it seems, as a group, have really worked on collaborations 
throughout Indian country. I know you have a number of partners. So before we get to that, tell us a little bit about just what the National Native Network is all about. So the National Native Network, um, we work towards um, reducing commercial tobacco-related um, cancer um, disparities and prevalence in um, American Indian Alaska Native populations. Our partners are the Intertribal Council of Michigan, the California Rural Indian Health Board, the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board, and the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium. So again, we're all over the country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We serve um, over 125 tribes directly with um, more than 300 in our purview and always looking for increased collaborations and work to reach different tribal nations. So what we do is we identify emerging, promising, and best practices in commercial tobacco and cancer prevention. We highlight and disseminate success stories. We provide tools, technical assistance, trainings. Uh, we really want to focus on implementing policy, system, and environmental changes, evidence-based interventions. So as I mentioned, our network is ever-growing. It's mm -hmm. diverse, very engaged. We have a very engaged um, number of stakeholders that help with capacity building for tribes. And everything that we do is very high quality. We have a great team. Um, we always partner with really well-informed, um, either cultural leaders or people working in public health or doctors, even um, people working in policy. Everything that we do is grounded in science, but very respectful of indigenous ways of knowing and being. Mm-hmm. It's tremendous what you're doing. I know you're one of the go-to organizations if someone in Indian country is looking for resources on cancer prevention. That's one of the niches that you've kind of carved out. I know, at least from my having rubbed shoulders with folks in your organization over the years, seems like a large driver of that has just been the scope of cancer that's related to tobacco. Was that kind of the order in which things grew where you first organized to focus on tobacco-related, you know, commercial tobacco-related diseases and cancer, or was there kind of a simultaneous growth, or is that asking you questions that really antedated your arrival <laughs> on the scene there? Well, we were established about uh, 10 years ago. Uh -huh. From my understanding, the Networking to Save initiative under the CDC was for commercial tobacco cessation and cancer-related um, disparities mm -hmm. that, you know, relate to commercial tobacco use. Mm -hmm. um, we've expanded our focus. We also have a program for HPV and a number of different other types of cancers that we also assist with. I think it's exciting because I love how programs start with a, a given focus. And as you work with tribes and work with individuals who need your resources, you say, you know, we really need to expand things. We need to deliver some additional services or programs. Talk to us about maybe someone who's listening today, maybe they're on a tribal council, maybe they're in a tribal health program, and they're really not connected with the National Native Network, and they see the ravages of uh, commercial tobacco in their tribe, and they say, yeah, I mean, we're aware there's quit lines out there and other things, but, but what kind of resources does the National Native Network have for a tribe or a tribal health program that could help them with this? 
a lot of that work is done through our partner organizations. So like the California Rural Indian Health Board and Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, Great Plains, um, and the Tribal Council of Michigan. So they do the community outreach. Mm -hmm. They work strongly within community to provide trainings, to provide uh, resources, to go out into high schools and, you know, do a no tobacco day and um, talk to the youth. We also provide like guidance on how to connect with tribes if you're a non-tribal organization to really focus on um, what the tribe's needs are, like how to create that dialogue mm -hmm. to find out what the tribe's needs, like for instance, for the state tobacco programs that want to work with the tribes, we provided a year-long affinity group series where we educated on different uh, factors of like data sovereignty, policy, tobacco cessation, and now we're focused on connecting the state partners with the tribes. Mm -hmm. um, so depending on what the tribes' needs are, that's the first step towards implementing those best practices um, whether it be outreach, whether it be a, um, you know, promotion of the quit lines or um, different resources, trainings, anything like that. So basically what I hear you saying, Heather, is if someone's listening to this show and they say, I'd like to connect with you folks, what I hear you saying is just connect with us and we'll try to see what your needs are and, and try to connect you with the right people and the right resources. Am I hearing you Absolutely. right? Absolutely. That's exactly what we are able to do. So how does someone go about contacting you? Well, you could look at our website, keepitsacred.org. We have our contact information in there. You can email us through the website and uh, let us know kind of what you're looking for, um, whether it be technical assistance, training, uh, resources. We have a ton of different resources, toolkits, recordings of our past webinars. Uh, that would be the best way to kind of get started on whatever it is that someone might need. Wonderful. I got it. Keepitsacred.org. Yes. Single best place to connect with you guys. Yes, absolutely. We also have our social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at Keep It Sacred. Excellent. Two of the things that I've heard you folks are involved with that really intrigued me. One is a project, and I believe it's through one of your partners. I think it's Intertribal Council of Michigan. But I've heard about this program, Our Breath is Sacred. Can you tell me just a little bit about that? Yeah, so our Breath is Sacred campaign, that was also in collaboration with the Truth Initiative. So it's a media campaign depicting Native youth and families participating in cultural events, living healthy lifestyles. Each photo is accompanied by a phrase that promotes vaping cessation. So really mm. targeted towards youth and uh, vaping prevention and cessation. We disseminated those to different schools, clinics, cultural events. It was a really successful uh, media campaign. Wonderful, wonderful. And is it something, are there resources that if someone said, hey, we'd love to use some of these in our community, are they things that are suitable to air on radio or television? Is it that type of uh, advertising campaign, or how would people utilize those resources the breath of sacred campaign we have all of our posters and images available on our website so if someone nice. wanted to use those or print those they absolutely can do it you know they're branded with um who we collaborated with mm -hmm. um so those are available on our website we also have a youtube channel if you're ever interested in our digital stories or 
commercials. Uh, if you ever want to play those for, you know, anybody that is interested, um, those are all available on our website. And that is the other thing I wanted to talk about. I love the idea of digital storytelling. You've been involved with developing really a, a library, if you will, of these stories. Can you tell me any that have especially impacted you as you were collecting them or listening to them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, there's one story. It was, she's a mother, and she talked about, you know, her, actually her love for smoking and how much she really enjoyed it. And the reason why she quit was because she needed to do it for her kids. And I'm a mother also, and, Mm. you know, uh, I really connected with that because you have to not only do what's best for yourself. I know that's the biggest cessation, like behavioral health change to you have to be able to want to do it for yourself. But her also wanting to do it for her family and for her kids so that she could be there longer for them and wow. healthy for them. Mm-hmm. That was really powerful. And um just so many of the digital stories just resonate with me and I think they resonate with a lot of our community um, because we depict tribal members themselves telling us why they quit and how they did it, which is I think is very powerful. So is the best way to access the digital stories, is it to go to YouTube? Is yeah, that... uh, YouTube, definitely. At Keep It Sacred um, is our, our NNN Keep It Sacred is our YouTube channel. Okay, so NNN, keep it sacred. If I stick that all into YouTube, it's going to pull you guys up? It will. It will. Okay. So we have different playlists. Um, so we've kind of cut the digital stories into 30-second public service announcements. Really? That we are looking toward uh, disseminating through Spectrum, through streaming services. Uh, we had like a big uh, ad on um, during one of the the basketball championship games, (laughs) which is really cool. Well, you got me inspired. We might uh, take a look at some of those. If they don't have an expiration, we might even try to use some of them on uh, American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Oh, yes, please do. The digital story I was talking about, her name is uh, Valerie. Valerie, okay. Yes. We do have to step away just briefly. We're going to come back. We're going to be talking more with Heather Medicine Beer, resources that can help you, can help your tribe, and even if you're not Native, Things that can make a difference in your life. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at AIANL.org. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, AIANL. Dot org, Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone Connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Still sitting across from me in the exhibit area in Alaska, here in Anchorage, is Heather Medicine Bear. Heather is a member of the Gila River tribe, and she is uh, here representing the National Native Network, of which she is the program manager. Heather, in addition to all those responsibilities we've learned in the previous segment, you're a wife, you're a mother, and you're completing a doctorate. Did I get that right? Yes, I'm completing my doctorate in Indigenous Health um, through the University of North Dakota. Wow, that is just amazing. You've got your hands in so many things. We learned in the last segment that you're really very eclectic in your Native connections. We've been excited to have you on the show, and you've been talking with us especially about initiatives that your National Native Network has been involved with, partnering uh, with various partners, trying to decrease especially the, the reach of cancer, in indigenous populations, as well as uh, all the problems that go along with commercial tobacco and trying to, to help with uh, cessation initiatives. Let's talk a little bit more about that in this segment. One of the programs that I know got a lot of attention when it comes to tobacco uh, cessation was the TIPS campaign. Tell us, first of all, a little bit about what that campaign was in general and then some of the special things you did with it. So the TIPS campaign was through the CDC the purpose of it was to promote cessation within different underrepresented communities. So they created a series of posters with different phrases on them to get people to quit, to understand why people need to quit, and also to promote equity by providing representation, mm, really, for different mm-hmm, communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the goal of the CDC effort. Now, I've seen some really innovative posters and I think they came out of your office where, I'll just be honest with you, I don't speak Navajo or any indigenous language. And I'm looking at these 
posters and I'm saying like, what language are these in? But it's obviously indigenous peoples and there's a bunch of words that I can't read. Tell us a little bit about what went behind that. So the, the NNN worked in collaboration with the CDC to translate the tips for, from former smokers campaign. So they did um, a series under American Indian and Alaska Native populations. So what we did is we worked with our tribal partners to translate the posters into Anishinaabe, Lakota, Yurok, those different languages. And it was quite a process. So we really had to engage with community. One of our partners from the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board, Richard Masseau, he did a lot of work on this. They had to identify two different speakers that spoke the language and then translate the information and the statement into that language. So the translation process was quite complicated, but being able to work with those traditional speakers and figure out, you know, coming to a consensus on how those words might come out was really great. Um, so one of the challenges was some of the words used in the Tips for Smokers campaign we don't have in some of our tribal languages. Mm. So, for instance, they don't have a word for secondhand smoke. Okay. So some of the translations came out a lot different, but still definitely portrayed the message of what the original poster had intended. Great, great. So that's wonderful. And so tribes, uh, at least if they were one of your partners, they kind of work together with you on that process. So it's not like any tribe can just go to some resource and they'll find them translated in their own language, obviously. No, it was definitely a process, but we do have a survey available on our website to kind of engage more with communities. So if anybody is interested in translating the posters into their own language, okay. we have the phrases available. There's a QR code, they can go on there and then it says, how do you translate this? And then they can translate it. Try to get more engagement. I think we have um, like five or six different translations so oh, far really? under that survey. Yeah in different regions of the country. Oh, nice, nice. Now, here's a phrase that a lot of people, if they're lay people, this sounds really weird. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you start talking about tobacco equity, usually when people talk about equity, you know, they're speaking about, and I don't want to use different illustrations, but kind of level playing field. I know that's not always the best even way to describe it, but tobacco equity, people think like, are you talking about everyone getting access to tobacco? When we talk about that phrase in public health and when you use it in your organization, what is that referring to? Tobacco equity really refers to the types of services available to help people quit. I think the type of resources okay. specific to the different needs of each community, especially tribal communities. So whether it be, you know, like access to pharmacotherapy or behavioral health therapy to quit tobacco, culturally tailored types of resources, screening tools. Mm -hmm. I think that it all like really promotes equity within our communities. So there's currently um, state initiatives for tobacco equity. You've been pretty closely involved with that at the National Native Network. Tell us a little bit more about why that's important for my listeners to know. This was one of our biggest projects this year, and it was very, very successful. So what we did is we partnered and worked with the state tobacco programs to figure out what their capacity is with tribes 
how they're working with tribes. And we really wanted to educate on different influences of tobacco cessation strategies within tribes. So we educated, we did like a year-long affinity group series where we educated on policy, cessation strategies, data sovereignty, just a number of different topics to mainly just educate state programs on the needs of American Indian Alaska Native communities. And our goal now is to connect the state programs with their tribal partners to kind of create a dialogue about how they can support tribes to promote cessation. One of the interesting things to me that you've mentioned, and again, this is a phrase that people throughout Indian country immediately relate to, data sovereignty. But I remember visiting Phoenix, Arizona some years ago, and, you know, it's a historic city, at least as far as uh, Native American research and uh, diabetes. And, of course, your tribal roots, you know, Gila River Indian Reservation, has been reported on for literally over a 100 years. I mean, I've actually seen data on that. And yet I've also heard things about data collection historically not being done always with collaboration of the tribe. I know that landscape has changed. But tell us a little bit about this whole dialogue over data sovereignty and some of what we've dealt with historically and where we're at today. I think there's been a lot of, in the past, predatory practices regarding data collection and dissemination and even interpretation of data. I mean, there's so many examples of how American Indians and Alaska Natives have been exposed to just unethical research practices mm -hmm. and data collection methods. So data sovereignty, you know, covers the ownership of data, who owns the data, how it's interpreted the tribes being able to have an active voice in how that data is collected and how it's interpreted and how it's disseminated and who owns it, I think is especially important. So it's definitely relevant in relation to tribal, uh, you know, just the ownership of their own information and how it's used. One of the things that has uh, fascinated me about the work that you and your team are doing, Heather, has to do with the whole cancer prevention piece. I mean, this is such a growing concern in every segment of the population in North America, but especially among indigenous peoples. And to me, the most tragic thing is a physician who has board certifications in both internal medicine and preventive medicine is just that many times people aren't availing themselves of the preventive resources that are there. I know one of the areas that your national native network has taken an interest in is colorectal cancer. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in that domain. So most recently, we had a presentation by Dr. Diana Redwood, who is the lead epidemiologist for the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, specifically focused on colorectal cancer. And Dr. Redwood was able to provide a really great presentation on why screening is important, mm. different risk factors. She gave a lot of data on survival rates, specifically on the disparities uh, experienced by American Indian and Alaska Natives. There was a question and answer session where we had a lot of the comprehensive cancer control programs be able to ask questions about how Alaska is increasing their screening rates and identifying risk factors within tribal populations. So that was one of the initiatives that we worked on, especially tailoring resources for American Indian and Alaska Native that was really important by being able to reduce structural barriers to create positive changes and increase screening rates. 
Institute and outreach for our population. That was one of the initiatives that we did. That is so tremendous. It is so tragic to me with colorectal cancer, which is felt to be totally preventable with screening because, you know, these cancers start as polyps. They can be identified. They can be removed. And then to see so many people still dying of colorectal cancer. Thank you so much for doing that and making such a difference. Well, Heather, we do have to uh, wind up this segment. I know you've got to go. You've got a lot on your plate. I'm so glad that you carved time out for us. One more time, if someone wants to connect with you or some of the great resources for tobacco cessation, at least uh, making a clean break with commercial tobacco, or they want to get some of these cancer treatment, cancer screening insights, how do they get a hold of you? Please visit our website, keepitsacred.org. We have all of our resources available, contact information, anything that you need, that's where you can find us. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Heather. We're going to step away just briefly. We're going to be coming back with another excellent guest from this venue in Anchorage, Alaska. Don't miss it. We'll be right back. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We're continuing this broadcast from Anchorage, Alaska. We're at the National Tribal Health Conference, and we're talking with folks who are making a difference throughout Indian country. Across from me for these segments are Marsha Carlson and Anwar Miller. You ladies uh, both work in close collaboration is what I've gathered. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, first, you, Anwar. Absolutely. Again, I am Anwar Miller. I'm a citizen of the Fort Yuma Kachan Indian Tribe in Winter Haven, California, and I work at United South and Eastern Tribes, headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. I am the Tribal Health Program Support Director there, and we have several competencies that we really focus on the needs of 33 tribal nations from the Northeast Woodlands down to the Everglades in Florida and across the Gulf. Wow. Yes. So people sometimes throw out acronyms in Indian country, and some folks have heard this acronym USET. Tell me what that all stands for. United South and Eastern Tribe. Okay. Yes. Okay. So that's you guys. That's us. So you <laughs> are USET. We are USET. Okay. Absolutely. Just a little interesting history. So it was USET tribes that were behind, at least my understanding of the history of this radio show and the accompanying magazine. So USIT was involved early on, some 20 years ago, when this was getting launched. At least that was the history I was shared. I don't know if organizationally, if it was more just the tribes, especially the northeastern tribes that I understood were involved. USIT is a regional organization with a national presence, so probably so. <laughs> <laughs> very good, yes. very good. And then so uh, you, Marcia, tell us a little bit about your connection. Right, sure. So I work with Tribal Health Innovations, which is actually a subsidiary of USET. And so we work with tribes on revenue cycle optimization. And so it's working to maximize the third-party revenue coming into the tribal health centers so that the ultimate goal being that they can provide additional services to their tribal citizens in some way. Wow. So basically what you're looking at is trying to make sure there's a solid revenue stream, especially grant funds. Is that a lot of what you're looking at or not? No, we're looking strictly at third-party revenue. Oh, okay. Okay. Very good. So let's come back to you, Anawa, Tribal Health Program Support Director. That's your title. Correct. So who all are you working with? What kind of things are you doing? So we support any and all of our 33 tribal nation members of USET and we provide them technical assistance. They may be subrecipients of some of the larger grants that we go after. We help them with infrastructure development. We are, as a response to the needs and our assessments, we are also building out a workforce competency to accompany the other eight competencies that we had, where it may be epidemiology, data improvement, chronic disease, infectious disease, behavioral health, dental support, and diabetes support as well. Wow, wow. So you get your hands into all kinds of things. Yes. Now, your roots are back in California. Correct. And you're working with tribes on the other side of the Mississippi. Yes. So how has that experience been? Well, I was born and raised in Roanoke, Virginia. Okay. <laughs> so I okay. am a bi-coastal representation. And so it is pulling together all of myself and growing up in Virginia and even now seeing the seven tribal nations that gained federal recognition in 2019 and to be able to work with those tribal nations now and support them. My life has come full circle. Wow. So that's awesome fantastic. Experience. Yes. So bring us up to speed for some that don't 
deal a lot with Indian country. We have a lot of non-native listeners. You know, they hear about federal recognition, state recognition. To some people, it's kind of confusing terminology. And you're a tribe, you're a tribe, right, is what a lot of people think. But it's more complicated than that. It is. And I won't dive too far into (laughs) that. But you said all of our tribal nation members are all federally recognized. I mean, they are recognized by the government. There's then acts, trusts, and treaties that the federal government is responsible for fulfilling to those tribal nations. There's 574 federally recognized tribal nations at this time. So with the addition of those tribes in 2019, has that increased USET membership? Have some of those tribes joined uh, USET? All of them, yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So we are expanding our service. It's still within our regional footprint, but our service has increased in supporting those seven tribal nations, which is phenomenal. Well, and you say it's phenomenal, but I'm assuming it's a lot of work, too, because a lot of tribes now trying to get into some of these programs and all kinds of logistic challenges, right? It is. And so the fervor that these seven tribal nations are coming with, the the energy, the innovation to come into their federal recognition in 2019, especially with COVID coming, Mm -hmm. you know, and they've been able to really assess their infrastructure and their needs and been able to leverage some of that as well in this time, too. So, Marsha, coming back to you, these seven new tribal nations, I'm sure that's probably had some impact on what you do as well, right? Right. So we started off with uh, Tribal Health Innovations working with just USET tribes. And so we work with uh, several of the USET tribes in what we do. And one of the things that has happened over the last year is we have started expanding, actually, outside of just the USET territory. And as Anua referenced, um, you said has a national footprint, and that's part of the footprint is as we start to expand the services that we provide through Tribal Health Innovations. So is Tribal Health Innovations, is it something that was started by USET? Correct, it was. So I'm trying to make these connections because even though I've rubbed shoulders with people involved with USET, and I think probably 15, 20 years ago presented at a USET conference up in the Northeast, Hmm. I'm still learning. So this is really good information. Any tribe can reach out to Tribal Health Innovations and look at ways that you could help them with their revenue stream? Yes, absolutely. So we typically start with an assessment. Something that's uh, unique about what we do is we really do uh, go in and assess what the needs truly are and see how we can help. Mm -hmm. And whether that's training or whether it's just working on an assessment for them or an audit, or if they are short-staffed and need help in the day-to-day coding and billing, we can also do that. Or our original plan was started with a revenue cycle optimization program. So it's a really intensive program that goes in and trains their staff and looks at all of their workflows to help them improve those and so that you can maximize that revenue coming in. Excellent. Now, what Marsha is doing, Anawa, does that at all directly interface with what you do? Absolutely. So tell me how that works together. So as we are providing technical assistance and programmatic development, this is absolutely an opportunity to segue into that. And so we look at sustainability of programs, and if they're a grant program and their grant funds are restrictive or, you know, whether it be by financial dollar, time, allowable expenses, maximizing their third-party revenue, they'll have access to unrestricted funds to support, sustain, and expand their programmatic and clinical services. 
So it's absolutely important to marry the two mm-hmm. and, and have this open communication and support to our tribal nations. This is a great relationship, and I'm guessing if I were to look at the timeline of how things developed, maybe Marsha's arm came along after your arm, Anawa. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. The tribal health program support has been in place since almost USET's inception, mm-hmm. and so it is a long-standing competency of USET. And this is a fairly new relationship that's building, and we've seen tremendous impact for our tribal nations as well. Now, I know one of the things that often really draws listeners into the framework of the show and the material that you're presenting is just to learn a little bit more about each of you. So, Marsha, people in a role like yours, you know, we're thinking you've got strong finance background. Is, is that how you walked into this? Well, I actually spent 18 years working at an accounting and consulting firm. Okay. But part of what I did there was really managing a medical billing department. So mm. third-party billing on the private sector, working a lot with anesthesia or hospital-based specialties. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, we started a different business and we met USAID along the way and found that they were working with their tribes, uh, trying to find ways to maximize that third-party revenue. Mm-hmm. So we found it a great opportunity to partner together with you know, all of their expertise. And then we were able to come in with that revenue cycle expertise and come together and provide a, a wonderful service. Wow. So have you been with the project from the ground up, so to speak? I have. I have. Wow. That's exciting. It's been very exciting and very exciting to see the results because it takes some time to actually see the results. But when you do, it's it's very rewarding and exciting. So what are you seeing as far as this conference? Are people learning about your services for the first time? Are you getting a lot of interest? We have talked to several people. It's been wonderful. So we have come away with a number of leads and a number of people who really are struggling in this area and really need some assistance. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Anwa, what about you? So you've got roots in Virginia, even though tribal connections out west. How did you end up getting involved with USET? So my bi-coastal expansion allows me to go coast to coast often. And so um, throughout the course of my career, I have gone back and forth on each coast. And believe it or not, most of my experience early on in my career was in sports and community health. Really? Interesting. It was. And I was actually an athletic trainer, assistant athletic trainer for the <laughs> Phoenix Mercury Were you really? in wow. 97, 98. And I was working with elite athletes uh-huh. in different sports, but primarily there. But I began to see the treatment table become like a therapy table. And uh-huh. it was a lot of talk and discussion. And so I began to see more of optimal performance, including mental health and well-being mm-hmm. as well. And so I began to turn more to community health, public health mental health as well. And as I went back and forth between uh, coasts, I ended up going back to California. Mm-hmm. And then I became the health director for Cocopa Indian Tribe in Summerton, mm-hmm. Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I worked with Inner Tribal Council of Arizona. They were our supporters, as okay. you said, is to the 33 uh-huh. tribal nations in that region. And so I became familiar with the model and working on a local level I began to see the operations and understanding that revenue cycle and and all of those things and sustainability, again, at a local level from a programmatic perspective and how to bridge those gaps. And so life led me back eastward to the Nashville area. And again, I was familiar with the model. Uh I was familiar with USET and 
May of last year. Oh, wow. Became the uh, THPS director, started as a program manager and moved into the director position. And it's, I love the word phenomenal. And it's uh-huh. a phenomenal organization doing mighty work. And to be able to take that experience and just weave it into the work that we're doing and be able to partner and see the transformation and the expand again that expansion of programmatic activity and sustainability through all of this is absolutely stunning opportunity. Now, as you folks are using these superlative adjectives, some of my listeners may be doing the same. They say, "Well, it sounds like these ladies are excited. They're doing some great work. How do I get a hold of them? Are there multiple points of contact? A single point of contact? If someone says." You know, I'd like to learn more about how uh, tribal health innovations could help me or, you know, how I could, you know, improve our revenue cycle. Where do people go? Our communications team does Mm -hmm. a phenomenal, that's the word of the day, (laughs) phenomenal job at uh, providing a great website that you can reach us at um, org and see all of our competencies within USET as well. We have Economic Development as well, Office of um, Environmental Resource Management, and you can find THI there as well. Okay. we got to step away just briefly. I'm hoping that they don't kick us out of the exhibit hall. We're some of the last ones here. They're allowing us to uh, hopefully complete this uh, radio show. We're going to step away briefly. You stay tuned. Please, if you're uh, tuning in, we're going to hear more about you, said some practical things that can make a difference for you. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. 
My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Dr. David DeRose, sitting across some ladies who work with uh, the range of services provided by USET. They're based in Nashville, Tennessee, and they're working with uh, tribes throughout the country, really. I know we've talked about several different relationships that the USIT family uh, has. So I know across from me, Anawa Miller, you're specifically working with the 33 USIT member tribes, right? Correct. And even though, Marsha, you have a bit broader sphere, USIT is your grounding, your home base, right? Correct. Okay, so I've got that clarified in my mind. One of the things that's been interesting to me is just to hear about the wealth of programming, the wealth of resources in Indian country. And I'm always learning whenever I go to a Native event. One of the things I heard about here is something called Reclaiming Native Psychological Brilliance. I think I'd heard about it, but I really don't know much about it. And I'm really hearing more energy about it. Tell me, Anawa, what do you know about this program? So this is a set led partnership and we're excited about it again the reclaiming native psychological brilliance and it offers a monthly echo session and where information is delivered for strength-based approaches to enhance native behavioral health and to discuss ways that native brilliance supports behavioral health Hmm. and a minute ago i said you know i really began to turn to whole health and understanding Mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. the mental health ties into absolute optimal health and to look at and reclaim the native psychological brilliance to embrace our resiliency throughout millennium Mm -hmm. and to bring that to the forefront and understand how brilliant we are as Mm -hmm. a people and to really find ways to bolster that to Mm -hmm. express that to the world Mm -hmm. we even have a global presence this is the largest attended echo session in indian country we're surpassing our numbers from 2022 and already have 1,100 registrations wow. for this year's session. It is a partnership with C4 Innovations, with Holly Echohawk. We bring her on as well. And it is just a myriad and a display of the brilliant minds in Indian country. Wonderful. Now, we throw out a lot of terms in venues like this. Some are very familiar to my listeners. Others may not be. You keep mentioning this term echo session. What is that referred to? So echo sessions provide opportunities for learning. There are clinical employees there, clinical staff. We have tribal health directors there. And so it offers an opportunity for people across the globe to tune Mm -hmm. in at one time and get Mm -hmm. that information from Again, masters of the information, mm-hmm, and we bring mm-hmm. in clinicians and professionals in, in behavioral health to bring this information forward. Wow. And wow. we offer um, continuing education credits. In really? That, yes. Okay. And so professionals can get 
scientific information, evidence-based information there in these echo sessions as well. So I imagine it's pretty pricey. People have to pay a big fee to get in? It is zero, a big fee or zero. Really? It's free? It is free. So how does someone tap into this? So they can tune in every Tuesday, every fourth Tuesday of the month at 11 o'clock a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Mountain, 1 p.m. Central, and 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register at our USET website. Which is USETINC? USETINC.org. Okay. USETINC.org. There's a bit.ly link that I'm looking at, but it does no good on the air. <laughs> so, yes. so as long as they can remember the name of the program, Reclaiming Native Psychological Brilliance. Yes. And it's obvious if you go to USETINC.org that you'll find it. There. Yes. I love hearing about new programs, things that can benefit people throughout Indian country and beyond, right? Yes. So anyone that's, there's especially native focus because you're speaking about indigenous wisdom and insights, correct? Correct. But anyone can learn. Absolutely. From these sessions, right? And we have indigenous communities globally tuning in to hear. Well, that's great. And is it interactive or is it more a presenter and people listening in? It's more presenter style. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that goes along with any kind of free program is, I mean, it costs money, right? I mean, you've got staff involved. You've got uh, logistics with 1,100 registrants. And, uh, Marsha, you've been talking with us about how to make sure, basically, I'm reading between the lines, but how we can make sure things are sustainable. And uh, there's all kinds of individual tribes that would love to be doing things like a USIT is doing. I mean, of course, they may not have the resources that a cross-tribal organization would have, but what kind of messaging from your standpoint would you give to a tribe that's really wanting to take advantage of the brilliance, the insights that they have, the resources that they have intellectually and their elders and otherwise? Speak to that issue when it comes to the financial aspect. Right. So when it comes to tribal health innovations, that's what we really want to do is to see that third-party revenue coming in so that these tribes can increase their programs so they can add, maybe they want to add staff and bring in another specialty into the clinic or even build a building or something like that that can really benefit all of the tribal citizens. So that is really our goal is to help those third-party funds come in so that they can add to the programs and just make life better for their tribal citizens. One of the things I've been hearing more about and have heard some more examples here is, you know, historically we think of tribal health as servicing only indigenous peoples. And I know it seems like there's more of a movement for tribal health clinics to service the general community, the general population. I have some friends, for example, I'm not going to mention where, but they've gotten involved with a large tribal health project. And they're really actively helping the community realize that this is a state-of-the-art facility for everyone, not just for Native Americans. And they're really getting a lot of traction in that market area. Are these the kind of things that Tribal Health Innovations would be talking with tribes about? That is another way to increase revenue, yes, is to open up services to the entire community, yes. And I know when I think about this broader sphere of economic development, I think a lot about some of the tribes in the Northeast that have just done so much over the last couple decades with really developing things that I would say their communities look at it as an asset, you know, community assets, whether it's a golf resort or whether it's a, a shopping center. 
and whether it's a a ferry service. There's all kinds of things that Yusuf tribes have been involved with. So to speak beyond the health space, absolutely the opportunities for employment to communities, oftentimes tribal enterprises are some of the larger employers in the areas. And so absolutely from that perspective, being an asset to communities. So Anawa, one of the things that is especially exciting to me is as I talk with people doing exciting things in Indian country, I love to hear the stories of people like yourself because I know the motivation. You want to give back. You want to enhance tribes, indigenous communities. And I love to hear the stories where there's a return on that investment. That's not why you went into it. But tell me if being involved with USET, working with the 33-member tribes and health programming, if it's impacted your own health in any positive way. Absolutely brings me joy. And it brings me peace in my mind and my body to be in this space In 1996, I did a class and we had to do a job search and it was with National um, Indian Health Services at the headquarters. And 20 plus years later, I am back full circle in the same building with that. So always in the back of my mind, I was like, there's a job for me. There's a place for me Mm. in Nashville. So to come again, my life coast to coast, come Uh full circle, that joy, that purpose, that pathway I feel like was marked for me and so it is an absolute calling to Mm -hmm, me to serve mm -hmm. in this and how that impacts my health every day I'm able to get up with joy and purpose and serve and continue to pour out. That is so tremendous and for other Native youth who are looking at ways to give back to make a difference I know you're an inspiration. What would you tell them if someone's listening, or maybe it's an auntie or an uncle, maybe it's a an elder and they're thinking of a, a grandchild. What kind of things would you like to share with the next generation as far as how to impact their world, how to make a difference, especially in the health sphere? Their brilliance is needed. I think that is probably the most significant thing. Their brilliance, their presence, their strength, their innovation is absolutely needed in this space. That's wonderful. Their life is needed. That's wonderful. So hang in there, right? Hang in there. Sometimes it gets tough. Yes. But it's been worth it. Yes. And we'll be waiting with open arms to pass the baton to build up the youth, to encourage them, and that we're looking for them. Excellent. We're looking for their brilliance in this space. Excellent. One more time, how does someone reach out to either of you ladies? They can find us at usetinc, U-S-E-T-I-N-C dot O-R-G. Okay, uset, U-S-E-T-I-N-C dot O-R-G. Yes. Thank you so much, Marsha, Anawa. I know it's been a busy conference. Thanks so much for pulling away for us. Thanks Thanks for having us. Well, for all of us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose. Glad that you could join us today and, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.